Now, boys and girls, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to write a theme. Project-based competency-based education, online and hybrid classes, demand every disruption of global education systems in history. Really, it's a simple question with a complex answer. Does improving literacy always have to mean reading a book? I'm Jimmy Leonard. This is part one of Why Robots Aren't Readers, Rethinking Literacy. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald famously flopped when it first came out in 1925. It flopped again for different reasons in 2013 with the Leonardo DiCaprio film adaptation. This is an actual clip of that movie. Bumping, right? What is happening? I'll spare you that two and a half hour CGI voyage to nowhere if you haven't already suffered through it, but I'm talking about the original novel's failure. So we beat on boats against the current, born back ceaselessly. A lot of 1920s critics hated The Great Gatsby. They thought it was too forced, too unrealistic, too lacking in character development, or even just likable characters for that matter. One newspaper in New York infamously ran a headline calling F. Scott Fitzgerald's latest work a dud. Modern writers love hearing stories like this. The Great Gatsby is really the epitome of a novel that nobody appreciated for decades until finally, finally, people came to their senses and saw the literary brilliance. A century after it first came out, The Great Gatsby is widely considered to be one of the greatest American novels ever written. It's sold tens of millions of copies, and it's almost certainly something you had to read in high school. Which does beg the question, why didn't anyone predict this in the 1920s. One popular theory as to why reviewers didn't like it when the book first came out is that it simply hit too close to home. It's this social commentary about human folly and the house of cards that we build on riches and reputation and this vapid existence that was really underlying the roaring 20s. In other words, some people would say that The Great Gatsby was just too real. Fitzgerald hit it on the nose in a way that made people uncomfortable, and instead of facing the reality of their changing world, they preferred to live in this fantasy built on the traditions of the previous decades. It was too 1920s for the 1920s to handle. What strikes me about this perspective, and it is a perspective that schools often share with students, is the irony. Here's this great example from 100 years ago of how an author really embodied the culture with these powerful themes, capturing the good, the bad, and the ugly of society, but let's all have a chuckle about how critics of the day didn't appreciate it, and they didn't really want to read the writing on the wall about the future of America. But then in those same school systems, do we pause and say, 
what are the works right now that are embodying our culture, that are speaking about our future, that we aren't taking the time to appreciate? Instead of forcing kids to read The Great Gatsby from 100 years ago, what could they be reading about the 2020s instead? And what if the answer has very little to do with books? According to a recent study from the Pew Research Center, almost one in four Americans has not read a book in the past year. That actually seems high to me. I bet it's even fewer than that. That's Jimmy Kimmel in 2018. To find out, this afternoon we sent a team out to the street to ask pedestrians to name a book. Any book. <laughs> could be the Bible. could be Fifty Shades of Grey. All we wanted to know is... Can you name a book? Nobody reads books anymore, right? In 2002, the National Endowment for the Arts released this sort of shocking publication titled Reading at Risk, a survey of literary reading in America. Dana Joya, who at the time was the chairman of the NEA, prefaced the report by writing that a decline in reading was, quote, a retreat from participation in civic and cultural life. Looking back 20 years later, this report seems to have some alarmist statements, almost humorous statements about how electronic media was going to draw our young people away from artistic pursuits and be the death of volunteer work, even organized sports of all things. So here we are, 20 years on, when young people are arguably more artistically interested than ever before with web forums and digital arts and TikTok and YouTube and Twitch and activism is done on social media through hashtags and even sporting events are live streamed and endlessly consumed as highlight videos and replays. It's clear that electronic media hasn't diminished those things. It's just changed them. In 1996, David Foster Wallace published his most famous work, the novel Infinite Jest. One of the many plot lines of the book is that a filmmaker accidentally creates a movie so entertaining that the viewer literally can't stop watching it, and in the irreverent, ridiculous style of the novel, people starve to death because they cannot bring themselves to stop watching the screen. It's dark humor, of course, but when the book came out in 1996, a lot of people thought this was prophetic. You know, this is what the internet will do someday. It will literally suck the life out of our society. I'm afraid that if I subscribe to something like internet, you would really be hooked. I would get hooked and I would never, you know, spend time with my family. Well, I just, as Those I'm comments are the Today Show's Katie Couric in 1994. ...with information all the time that I don't really, I don't want more. Don't you ever feel like it's just constant bombardment? The millennials who grew up with the advent of the internet are now in their late 20s, 30s, early 40s. The parents of millennials who grew up in this context are now in their 50s and 60s. We've reached this moment in world history where all of our children are digital natives who only know a world of internet and smartphones and social media, and all of their parents, grandparents, coaches, doctors, pastors, teachers, were at some point told 
that the internet is the death of reading in America. This is your grandma telling you to put down the iPad and pick up a book, that kind of thing. And this idea that the internet is somehow the enemy of reading or the antithesis of reading has pervaded academic culture. You don't have to look far to find parents or teachers who agree with the idea that we can't have kids watching YouTube all day because those kids need to read. And it's not that I necessarily disagree with the sentiment, it's just that saying reading only happens between the hardcovers of a book vastly oversimplifies the reality of literacy. In 2018, there was this article in The New Yorker by Caleb Crane titled, Why We Don't Read, Revisited. It's pretty interesting to get the full context, but I'll summarize. Everyone's heard that people don't read anymore, or at least that they don't read as much as they used to. The death of the newspaper, the death of traditional publishing houses, kids at the library who ignore bookshelves and go straight for the computers so they can get online. We know the symptoms. In the article, Crane tests this postulate that Americans are reading less than they were a decade ago by looking at data from the Department of Labor's American Time Use Survey. And he makes this observation that in this extensive time use survey that the Department of Labor has been conducting on an annual basis for at least a decade, the average amount of time that Americans read is falling. It's falling for men, falling for women, falling for rich and poor. The actual number of self-identified readers is down. But Crane notes that in the time use survey, while newspapers, magazines, and audiobooks are categorized as reading... Surfing the internet is listed as computer use, which in the survey is categorized as a different activity than reading. He writes, So there's a chance that people who used to read the newspaper in print and be counted as reading are now doing so online and being counted as web surfers. It's fair to ask, are people actually reading less or are we just reading differently? This conversation starts with the question, what is literacy? I asked this to students one time as a sort of philosophical thought experiment. I said, if I use the voice software on my computer, you know, a text-to-speech reader, and there's tons of them out there, if this robotic voice reads my PDF or reads the sentences that I've just typed, is that robotic voice literate? What is literacy? If I type something into my computer and a robot reads it, does that really count as reading? To phrase it another way, if a robot reads these words correctly with accurate pronunciation, is that robot literate? Most kids were quick to say no, probably in part because they expected that would be the answer I was looking for. But there were some who pointed out that literacy is more than recognizing letter combinations and sounds. If I took a document written in Russian and just sounded out all the words, but I don't actually speak Russian and have no idea what I just said, that shouldn't count as literacy, even though I'm technically reading the words. In other words, the text-to-speech robotic voice lacks comprehension, and comprehension of the text, a contextual understanding, a competency of analysis, and an application of a given subject matter, that's literacy. I have in front of me the Common Core Standards for English Language Arts in Reading Literature. 
Here are two such standards for sixth grade. Determine a theme or central idea of a text and how it is conveyed through particular details. Provide a summary of the text distinct from personal opinions or judgments. And then compare and contrast texts in different forms or genres in terms of their approaches to similar themes and topics. Here are two standards for ninth grade. Cite strong and thorough textual evidence to support analysis of what the text says explicitly, as well as inferences drawn from the text. And then analyze a particular point of view or cultural experience reflected in a work of literature from outside the United States. There's an element of learning how to read that is phonics and vocabulary. Assuming a person has oral fluency in the English language, can that person decode strings of words and punctuation to communicate in that same language? Few people would question the importance of phonetics and teaching elementary schoolers the physical action of reading. But what I just shared, those standards from the Common Core, those really aren't about reading in the sense of decoding words. Those are about reading in the sense of analyzing and thinking critically, separating personal bias from an author's message, inferring and drawing rational conclusions from available evidence. Literacy is an understanding, competency, and application of rhetorical and critical thinking skills. So if that's what we're trying to teach students, why can't we use popular culture to teach it? The Harry Potter series is by far the best-selling book franchise of all time. And it's more than books. It's the movies, it's the theme parks, the merch, the wikis and RPGs and fanfic and fan art and BuzzFeed quizzes about which house are you. This is a cultural phenomenon. But you probably know where I'm headed with this. Since Harry Potter's rise in popularity, it's consistently been one of the most challenged and banned book series in America. According to data tracked by the American Library Association, it was the most protested book series in the first decade of the 2000s. St. Edward Catholic School in Nashville made headlines as recently as two years ago for banning the books from the school's library. And this really isn't even about Harry Potter in particular. While the St. Edward decision was widely criticized and mocked on social media, it underscores the point that it's often difficult to win an academic and parental embrace for culturally relevant literature. And that's when the literature is in the format of a book. Imagine when it's not. Nothing. Overall media use among adolescents continues to grow. But according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, evidence regarding... The American Academy of Pediatrics used to take a pretty hard-line stance against children and screen time. In the last five or six years, though, as they've looked at new data, they've revised a lot of their screen time policies to be more of a quality over quantity approach. In other words, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, it's not so much how long kids are in front of screens that matters... It's more about what they're doing on those screens. They now recommend what the AAP calls a family media use plan to allow for healthy screen time while appropriately mitigating some of the risk related to physical and mental health. The American Academy of Pediatrics family media use plan will prompt parents and family members. As the prevalence of online schools and remote learning has risen, I've seen a lot of schools embrace online media as part of their literature curriculum. 
but many schools are still doing it in such a limited way. Maybe a teacher has a YouTube channel, but are they teaching about YouTube? Maybe a teacher has a class website, but are they teaching about forum etiquette and discourse in a digital environment? Let me go back to those common core standards. Determine a theme or central idea of a text and how it is conveyed through particular details. Could a student determine the theme or central idea of a YouTube video and analyze how that theme is conveyed through particular details and features? Cite strong and thorough textual evidence to support analysis of what the text says explicitly as well as inferences drawn from the text. That was a high school one. Could a student visit a website, read a blog post, or even Instagram post, then find textual evidence from that post to support a summary statement of the explicit meaning and a logical inference of the implicit purpose? In education, we often say that kids need to read because someday they'll grow up and have to form their opinions and defend their own beliefs. Well, the forum where opinions are most likely to be formed for them and their beliefs are most likely to come under attack is the internet. So why are we teaching kids The Great Gatsby when we could be arming them with internet literacy skills? Can you spot the bias? Do you understand the purpose and audience? Do you have that comprehension, competency, and application that constitutes literacy in the context where you are most likely to need it? Robots aren't readers because they pronounce words. Our students aren't readers because they know how to regurgitate some Sparknotes analysis of a hundred-year-old novel. Saying, get off your screen, go read a book, is as unhelpful as it is unlikely to actually happen. Instead, we should be asking, what's on the screen? And how could you read it more critically? The next episode has some practical ways to go about this, age-appropriate for different grade levels, and I hope you continue with me. But if you've made it this far, I want to pause. Thank you for joining me on Kicking It New School. This is a podcast about challenging some of the longstanding assumptions in education and exploring how we can reach this current generation. If you're a parent or an educator or just someone interested in education or ed policy, I invite you to subscribe and come on this journey with me. Tell me about your own success stories. Tell me about what you want to hear next. Visit my website at jimmyleonard.com slash podcast, where you can ask your question and have it featured on a future episode. Right now, keep listening as the series continues.